This evening I'd like to speak about faith. Uh, in the Buddha's language, Pali, which was used to record the teachings of the Buddha, this word is sada, faith, to place one's heart upon. It's the faith to venture beyond what is already known, to venture beyond what we experience as the cow paths of the mind, those places where the mind habitually goes to over and over again. And uh, sometimes we're not happy with that. Uh, We see that that's happening. Sometimes we're not even aware that that's happening. We just get caught in those places, these cow paths of the mind. The faith to come into the present moment with courage, with a deep trust that there in the present moment will open to what needs to be open to so we can venture beyond what is known, so we can open to what needs to be open to so that the direction of our spiritual path will bring us to greater happiness, to greater peace. To come into the present moment with more clarity takes a lot of faith. To be able to face what's happening moment to moment without thinking that it's boring, without doubting it, without fearing it, without wanting something other than what is happening in the present moment, that takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of faith that brings about courage to just be with the present moment over and over and over again. So that when we're there in the present moment, it opens pathways of wisdom, this uh, place beyond what is known. These pathways of wisdom help to open us to suffering, to our own suffering, to the suffering in the world, to understand and to relinquish the cause of suffering, to know that it can come to an end, to know from experience, not from a blind hope, but from true experience that it can come to an end, and to absolutely have trust in and be able to walk the path that leads to the end of suffering, which is the Eightfold Noble Path. So this is what faith is all about, really opening us to what I just spoke of as the Four Noble Truths of the Dhamma, opening to suffering, the causes of suffering, relinquishing, understanding the causes and relinquishing them, knowing that Suffering can come to an end through experience, not through hope. And knowing the path to that end. So for each of us, the opening of the mind and the heart, the unfolding of our spiritual journey is very unique. We all have different cycles, different ways that we cycle through those cycles. The maturing of the Dhamma for each of us, is uh, quite 
a unique experience. Sometimes the, the uh, way along the path is easily identifiable, and sometimes there it isn't. It can be a slippery slope. Um, sometimes we're on a cycle that uh, we feel that we've lost our footing on, and we're, we're sort of what we call on the slippery slope of suffering. And we need a lot of faith there in order to know where to have a foothold, where we can feel safe inside ourselves, even though everything outside of us doesn't feel safe. Sometimes it feels on on one of these cycles like it's a steep learning curve. And we just really don't know how we're going to take that next step. We need a lot of faith there to be able to do that. Sometimes we're up to the challenge of that, of taking that next step. Sometimes we're not. It can be very difficult. Sometimes when we're not up to the challenge, we need to have faith in ourselves that it's okay to step back and to take a rest, to take a recess, and not to do one intensive retreat after another, that that's the wise thing to do, and to have faith in that. Sometimes there is a natural period of dormancy, a period of rest in our practice where we might feel that we're on a plateau, so to speak, and nothing is really deepening, no matter what we do. We need a lot of faith there, too. We need to be able to know that the, the seeds of our aspiration, of our intention to open to the Dhamma in our hearts, to open to the Dhamma in the world, that those seeds are doing the right thing. Sometimes we can't see them, of course. Most of the time we can't. But the seeds of, of faith are growing roots. The Buddha called faith a seed. He said that faith is likened to a seed. These seeds are our intentions, our intention to grow in the Dhamma, to grow wisdom, to grow compassion, to grow in that direction, even if we don't feel that we're growing from that place. Maybe we can feel, at least, that we're growing in that direction. The Buddha said that the seed of faith becomes established through nourishment. And this nourishment is virtuous activity. So sometimes I I talk about this because there are many times in our practice when we feel like we're just on a plateau, and we don't feel like anything's happening. We can't see the seeds underneath in the darkness growing. But we can still do our work, the, uh, the work of helping ourselves, helping others in the world. We can continue to do our practice, the seeds of doing good, For ourselves, it may mean that we continue to practice. We continue to do our intensive retreats like this. We continue to do our daily practice. We continue to uh, 
do no harm in the world and to do good in the world, to help as much as we can. The Buddha said that these seeds uh, that grow roots, these roots are, are the virtuous activity. And these roots take in nutrients. Those nutrients help that seed to grow and to push through the darkness and to have sprouts that blossom and bear fruit. And the fruit of this seed is serenity and insight. And so this is the, uh, the aim, the aspiration, the, what those seeds of faith are growing Sometimes that's so hard to see. We may plant seeds of faith, of intention, and maybe those intentions are all about compassion and wisdom, and that can be so far-reaching that it's, it's sort of too far-reaching for us to, as they say, hang our hats on. You know, it's a nice idea, but where, where can I find evidence of that? What does it actually take in terms of our practice? What does this having faith actually take in terms of practicality? And for me, it means just being present, not getting lost, not getting lost too far into the future, Um, opening to whatever has to be open to in the present moment. I would say that that takes a lot of faith because oftentimes we want to think it out. We want to understand it with our intellect, our thoughts. And I think that's why the translation of the uh, word sada, to place your heart upon, is a beautiful translation because you really have to open to it, through it, with your heart. You can't Think it through. You have to actually be with whatever is happening moment to moment. That takes an incredible amount of faith to me. They say that, uh, the Buddha said that faith has a characteristic of trusting. Trusting that to place our heart upon the present moment is all you need to do. And I I wonder if we really have trust in that. I do. But it's, it would be interesting for us to take a look at that and find how it is for us when we place our hearts upon the present moment. For me, I feel a great deal of relief to just be with the present moment. The cow path of the mind is often racing into the future, planning out of fear, maybe, or going back into the past because even places of suffering are places of security. But placing our heart upon the present moment, uh, when I can really do that, and I see that rushing into the future is not really where I have a foothold, going back into the past and going over and over again what happened in the past, 
is a lot of suffering. But being in the present moment, even when it's opening to something painful, can be a great relief. Because there in the present moment, or here in the present moment, it's something that I can really rely upon. It's something that I can know for sure that this is the truth. This is how it really is. Not just that the present moment is opening to fear or joy and know how that really is, but seeing beyond that, that the present moment can open to beyond what the conceptual knowledge of that is. For example, opening into the present moment, we see that everything is passing away that everything is so utterly impermanent. And we begin to have more and more trust in that truth. And trusting in the present moment and what it opens to and the truth of impermanence is powerful beyond measure. So it's not thinking our way through, but feeling our way through feeling our way through the darkness sometimes. Someone sent um, a card to me recently, or about a year ago. This is from Tagore. It's um, a saying about faith. Faith is like the bird who feels the light and sings while the dawn is still dark. So we have a sense when we're resting in the present moment, when we open to the present moment with faith, that there's, there can be some end to our confusion, to our doubt, to our suffering. Faith is like a prayer on a dark night. Um, it's mostly faith in ourselves the faith to just keep going, uh, even though it's difficult, even though we don't have faith in ourselves sometimes. And most of the time, that's what it's all about. The opposite of faith is talked about a lot on this path to freedom. It's one of the hindrances, and that is doubt. And one of us will speak about that during the course of the retreat, these hindrances. Doubt is uh, usually doubt in the practice, doubt in the teaching, the practice, doubt in the teacher, or doubt in ourselves, in our ability to open. And it's not so much our ability to open to the big Dhamma, to the big picture, to the big, to, to those uh, big truths. But it's really, usually, the doubt to open to the present moment's experience, the doubt to be with things as they are when we come right down to it. When I take refuge in the Dhamma, uh, in the morning, you know, you do the refuges and the precepts, taking refuge in the Buddha. Our capacity 
for wisdom, for the seed of awakening within us to awaken, taking refuge in the Dhamma, the truth, the way things are. Most of the time for me, taking refuge in the Dhamma is taking refuge in being able to experience the present moment, taking refuge in this, whatever is being experienced right here, right now, this is where wisdom can arise, not anywhere else, not out there in anyone else's wisdom or beautiful writings or sayings or experiences that we hear about that are wonderful and we can rejoice with them for but taking refuge in our own ability to open to whatever is in the present moment for us and to learn from that opening. When I uh, went to practice, one of the recent times I was practicing in Burma, there was something that one of our teachers uh, said to us, said to me, that stayed with me for a long time up to now. It's, it's, Um, his comment has continued to make a huge difference in in the direction of my practice. So when I went there to Burma, he asked me, what are you here for now? What, why are you here? Why did you come all the way to practice here? And I answered that I wanted to purify my heart more than what it has already done. I wanted to take a step into whatever is the unknown for my practice and to let go of whatever has been known and to open to um, other levels of purification. And he answered me, in order to do that, you must be willing to invest everything you have. You must be willing to invest everything you have in the practice. And of course, at that time, I, I just took it in. I didn't quite um, ponder on it at that moment. But later I reflected. There are, there are, of course, many things within the mind and the heart that we all have and that had already been developed in my own heart that I needed in order to venture forth, to venture onward on the path. And some of them are more compassion, more equanimity, uh, a, a stronger mindfulness, more concentration. But all of those qualities needed one thing, and that was faith, a deeper faith in my ability to be able to do that, and not to say that this is only for uh, beings that uh, are, for example, monastics, or this is only for beings that have practiced, that go to practice so many, um, you know, year-long or three-month retreats, that I as a layperson and mother and grandmother could do this, and I didn't have to be in any special um, robes or for a lifetime to do that. So the faith in myself to venture beyond past experiences was needed at that time. This faith 
for me manifested as a resolution and a confidence that I never felt before to be able to venture beyond. It's said that one of the manifestations of faith is to venture beyond, to aspire beyond what is known. And so it took a kind of determination, a kind of confidence, a kind of resolution, a kind of courage, which are all come out of faith or their uh, parts of faith that I never felt before. It was a, a strength of faith that came to me that I was challenged by, in a way, challenged to by my teacher. It said that this kind of strong confidence overcomes the hindrances, the hindrances of sloth and torpor, of restlessness, of doubt, of attachment, and of aversion. And I can say that at times this was true, that the strong faith to do that um, was more powerful than the hindrances. Not all the time, but sometimes it was. This is a poem by David White, a poet and author from the Northwest. I want to write about faith, about the way the moon rises over cold snow night after night, faithful even as it fades from fullness, slowly becoming that last curving and impossible slither of light before the final darkness. I have no faith in myself. I refuse it the smallest entry. Let this, then, my small poem, like a new moon, slender and barely open, be the first prayer that opens me to faith. So it was like that for me, and I I tell this story, I know, because it's our story, it's our collective story, it's your stories too. So I just don't want it to be about me, but I tell it because I hear your stories and I know that it's about the journey to awakening. Oftentimes we don't have the faith to take another step, to take another breath, we just want to give up. And it's so, so difficult. Um, My daughter, my third grown child, just gave birth to her second son, and this is my fifth grandchild, just a couple of days ago. So I spoke with her uh, today, and I asked her how... How did you do it through your, through your labor pains? How was it for you? And she said, Mom, I just took one labor pain at a time. Just one labor pain at a time. And this whole process that we're going through is birthing ourselves. It's like giving birth to who we really are. 
And it takes a lot of these labor pains, the first noble truth of suffering that we go through. There's no other way. We can't go around. We just have to go through. Sometimes we think we did it by going around, but we've got to come back. And so this one labor pain at a time, this one breath at a time, is what we need the faith for. It's not those far-reaching, like, I'm going to get up the mountain. It's this next step. Um, Of course, we have to have that vision, that far-reaching vision. But as it said, uh, the first step depends on the last, and the last step depends on the first. It's really just this one moment at a time, one step at a time, Many times in my walking practice, I remember, a lot of times in my walking practice, it's very difficult because a lot of memories come up. It's sort of a little bit looser in my walking practice, so a lot of thoughts come up and a lot of old pains come up. And um, one time, uh, quite some time ago, when a lot of old dukkha or old suffering came up, and it was really quite a bit of, you know, kind of rip-your-heart-apart suffering. And I went to Upandita, and he had a Nepalese translator who spoke English, Unyanaponika. And uh, I was saying what it was like for me to go through in this walking practice and, and the difficulty that I was going through. And my heart was, you know, there was a lot of emotion at the time. And, um, Unyanaponika stood up and he was he started pacing a little bit and he said, Oh, there's so much suffering in the world, there's so much suffering in the world. And Upandita didn't quite know what to say. He had said, you know, the countless different ways of uh, admonishing us to be mindful already to me through those months of practice. And so he said through the translator, Seadao says that when it's very difficult, you just stop, bend down, pull up your socks mindfully, get up, and begin again. And from that moment on, every moment, every walking practice, I remember that. When it's very difficult, you know, I bend down and I pull up my socks. Even in Burma, I wear socks because of the mosquitoes. And mindfully pull them back up and I just take the next step. I just begin again. And oftentimes in the walking practice, I cannot even say, usually I make an intention, I will be mindful as much as I can. And in the beginning, I would say, I will be mindful from here to the end of the walking practice, walking path. But uh, I got more wise in my old age and in the maturing of my practice. And I would just say, I'm just going to be mindful from here. Do I take a little pebble in the path, not far from my steps? And maybe it would just be just the next step. But it was just that far, just taking this next step and having faith that there could be a presence of mind in that moment and having faith that then in the next moment there could be a presence of mind in that next moment. 
So what are the other qualities that I have found uh, that helps to be present, to have faith in my ability to be present? This doesn't come from the text that I read, but maybe it's somewhere, but this comes from my own experience. It takes a lot of humility to, be, to have faith, to be willing to open to whatever there is to open to and not uh, have an idea of what it should be like. To be able to open with humility to whatever is there. It may be shame. It may be guilt. It may be resentment. It may be anger that I'm not willing to acknowledge. It may be sadness that I'm not willing to acknowledge. Uh, It may be joy that for some people, sometimes for me, is difficult to open to because it, it hasn't been a regular part of my path. So even joy, difficult to open to. It takes a lot of humility to just to open to whatever's there And oftentimes, when you see us bowing, um, sometimes my bow is an act of humility to say to myself, when I'm bending down and I'm bowing down and I'm sort of letting my whole body uh, touch the ground, it's like emptying myself. When I bring my hands my, which means bringing my body together and my heart and my mind together. And then I put my forehead to the ground and it's like I open myself and empty whatever is there and say, I take refuge in the ability to awaken. I take refuge in the Dhamma, whatever is presenting itself now, not being filled with how I think it should be, how, other pe- how it has been for others, how it has been in the past for me, how I want it to be in the future for me. But I empty myself so that I can receive how it is in this present moment, whatever the present moment-to-moment experience may be. So that emptying in that bowing is so important to me. Not anticipating what's going to happen next. Um, I learned this lesson about not anticipating in a very strong way when uh, I was going over my notes about faith and I came upon one of my old um, note pages of a Dhamma talk that I hadn't given for a long, long time. And this is when Therese, uh, who is now 24 years old, the youngest daughter, was 14. And she and I took a course together. This was a... I I forget um, how they termed it. But there were two black belters in our community who gave a course to women about protecting themselves and um, model mugging, I think that's what it's called, model mugging. And uh, 
Is that right? Have, it, have you ever taken, any of you? You've taken model mugging. Okay. In Maui. In Maui. Oh, we might have been in the same course <laughs> in Kahului. <laughs> so, so my daughter and I were in this course together. And what it's all about is kind of understanding how to protect yourself um, in greater and greater degrees of danger. And so protecting yourself through your voice, protecting yourself through uh, walking quickly away, protecting yourself through when you're actually attacked, how to uh, respond to the attacker. Well, I could face to some degree when I had to handle myself. Uh, and, and this, what it took for this was, if you can imagine, and I hope I'm not saying anything that triggers, but we had to put on several layers of clothes so that the, the, um, these two senseis would attack and take off the clothes so that we, we really got a sense of how it is. And so in order to kind of be freed, freed from it, you had to fight off the attacker and get yourself off the mat. So it came my turn, and uh, through a series of, I guess it was three days or something, three or four days, I was able to do that through that training. But with my daughter, it was really, really hard to, to watch her go through it. Um, I, I went to that course because of my daughter so that she, she would learn. And so she was going through all these layers of fear, and I was going through all these layers of fear with her and for her. And so she, was, uh, she had her turn, the big, the big uh, you know, turn come up for her, and she was going through all of this. And one sensei was on the mat with her and going through all the moves with her, and um, doing what they had to do to train her to go through her fear, basically. And so I was standing on the side, and I was sweating bullets, and I couldn't, I I didn't want to look, and I was crying, and I was saying, you know, I was using all these four-letter cuss words that I never thought would come out of my mouth, you know, (laughs) and it was all made up, really, this whole thing. And uh, then one sensei came near, and he said, Just as your daughter has to go through moment by moment her fear, she can't anticipate too far ahead. You must go through your own fear, and you can't anticipate too far ahead. Just take one moment of fear at a time. And I looked at him and I said, Oh, I'm a Vipassana teacher, (laughs) you know? Like, (laughs) duh. (laughs) So... um, that advice really helped me in my own practice along the way. Just not anticipating what it was going to be like that she was going to fail, so to speak, which of course she didn't. You know, she, she got, she went through it all and she got off the mat. And this, with, this is without the, the um, sensei uh, giving up or making it easy for her. And that it was really triumphant for both of us to see that. But it was just a wonderful, wonderful thing to go through that deep, deep fear in myself of seeing my children, my child go through that. And also to get that advice, 
not anticipating too far ahead. And this is one of the things that brings up a lot of doubt and more fear for us, which is the opposite of faith. When we anticipate too far ahead of ourselves and we think what happens is in the moment of whatever we're experiencing, when there is a lack of faith, we say to ourselves, whatever is being experienced now, this will last forever. If we're experiencing doubt, we say, this will last forever. If we're experiencing fear, this, we say, this will last forever. It's like, it's like we take whatever is happening and we throw that out into the future as a permanent path that will never, ever change. And we lose sight of how things are always changing, which is the insight that faith brings us to. So being careful about that, being careful about not anticipating anything more, just opening to what's happening in the moment, taking refuge in this moment, taking refuge in the truth of this moment. Oftentimes, Manindra, in um, practice, when I would go to him, he's one of our teachers, he would say, Surrender to the law. The law meaning the way things are. The way things are. The Dhamma, the law. The way things are in this moment. And I would be resisting it or fighting it or saying, it shouldn't be this way. Why isn't it more calm? Why isn't there more serenity? Why does this dukkha have to keep arising? And he would say, surrender to the law. This is how it is right now. It's not going to be this way forever. Part of the law, part of the way things are, um, which is what we open to through faith, is that things are arising and passing away. There is nothing that we can land on that's permanent. But when we can't see that clearly, when we're when there's delusion, when there's doubt, when there's fear, then uh, that's very bad news. When we can see it clearly, then this is good news. It's said that faith acts as a clarifying crystal. It sees things. It allows us to see things as they are. Or like Suzuki Roshi says, see things as it is. And when we open to that, that clarifying crystal of faith allows us to open to that, then it becomes a relief. This fear that is arising and passing away is not permanent. And so we see the spaces between the solidity of that. And we're not trapped there. We're not lost in that delusion. We're not lost in that confusion. So taking refuge in the Dhamma, having faith, surrendering to how things are, it's not a kind of passivity, not a saying, oh, this is how things are and this will last forever. It's saying this is how things are and how things are, 
this is impermanence. It's with that clear recognition, the clarifying crystal of faith brings us to that clear recognition. Faith means that we can stay conscious wherever we're, wherever we're at. Wherever mindfulness lands, we can stay conscious. I love um, this short uh, two-liner by Samuel Beckett. I can't go on, I go on. You know, it's just that moment of, oh, I can't go on. And then the next moment, because of this realization, of this recognition of impermanence, it passes. It's not that we go on. It's that uh, mindfulness goes on. It's this true recognition of, uh, like Suzuki Roshi says, Uh, renunciation is not giving up the things of this world. It's seeing that they go away. It's seeing that impermanence in every moment. Sometimes when I'm in practice, this last time when I was in Burma, um, there were some very, very difficult, very extremely challenging times, um, times of opening to dukkha that was never open to before. Not dukkha so much in the body, but dukkha in the mind. The immensity of it. And being able to let the mind be wide enough to open to the immensity of dukkha, of suffering. And at times uh, getting lost, at times not flinching, and at those times, seeing uh, the impermanence and seeing the, also the impersonal nature of that. Impermanence, which faith opens us to, helps us to see that it's also not me, not mine, not who I am. It brings us to a different place in our practice. So the places of dukkha where we want to push away from where it's difficult, where we can open to with faith. And places where it's wonderful, it's beautiful, there's a lot of happiness, there can be a lot of serenity, a lot of tranquility, a lot of joy. And even there, not getting caught, not holding on, not getting blindly, developing a blind attachment to. This is also dukkha. So in all the places, being conscious, all the places, this is what faith allows us to open to, being crystal clear in every single moment-to-moment experience. It's said that there are three kinds of faith. The first faith is blind faith. And this blind faith is following a path of practice that may give us a sense of purpose, a sense of safety. Maybe it's a path that um, we were born into. Or it's a path that maybe our peers at some time have gone into. And so we go into because 
it's, it's something to investigate and uh, to try out. But we find there that there can be some blind adherence to dogma, to um, kind of w- we're taking something in that we don't really believe in, but that we're just following out of the sense that everybody else is following. So I'll, I'll follow too. We get a sense at some point that it's not deeply fulfilling. It's not our own, really. It's outside of um, our hearts in a way. Our hearts are not in it. It, We don't get a sense of that true understanding of faith where we can really place our hearts upon it. There's a Native American Indian saying that says, Gazing at the moon, I lose a pearl in my own hands. So it's sort of like gazing at something out there, some kind of brightness or out there that belongs to someone else, but not somehow we're not looking at our own wisdom in our hearts. And then there's bright faith where, yeah, there might be some bright moon that we that opens us some kind of experience of nature. There might be a bright, uh, it's quite called bright faith because there's a kind of um, uh, a brighter experience. For me, it happened when I was in the Philippines and I was a very devout Catholic and uh, many people are in the Philippines and there was an, an apparition that many people saw of the blessed... Um, a blessed mother. And this is not something that's unusual in, in places of faith uh, like that, Christian faith. So it might be unusual to hear of here. But uh, this is something that truly happened for myself and others. So there was this apparition. And in that apparition, that bright faith was something that opened my heart in a, in a different way and probably many others who were there. One of the questions that was asked of me, you know, which led me to the next step in faith, was uh, not with a kind of human voice, but with a kind of inner voice. Um, I heard a message from this apparition that said, what are you doing here? And so that question... Was had many layers for me, and I'm still answering that question. And so that led me into a deeper way of looking at life. This bright faith can be symbolic when we hear others speak of their journeys, of their visions. We, we may have our own vision. We may have uh, something in nature that opens us. And this is very important because we begin to grow from our own wisdom. We begin to have our own symbols of faith that come out of our own experience. So we begin to have experiential understanding through this bright faith. But it brings us to the kind of faith that the Buddha was actually talking about. When he talked about faith, when he talked about sada, he talked about verified faith a kind of faith that we understand through our own experience. We understand who we really are, 
what this world, this mind and body, um, is made up of. This mind and body, not just of this mind and body called Kamala, but this more collective mind and body called human nature, called the world, called the universe. We come to understand that more deeply. We open to the truth in oneself, the truth of suffering, the truth of the cause of suffering, the truth of the possibility of the end of suffering, knowing the path to the end of suffering. And knowing the path in such a way that we have unshakable doubt about it, that we can walk the path of uh, virtuous activity and virtuous activity in the world, virtuous activity for opening our own hearts in, in practice. And we begin to understand in a way where we haven't understood before. We begin to um, aspire or venture beyond what is known to what is unknown. And we have great courage to do that, where we don't have to go in the same cycles and the same cow paths of our mind, where we can open to other terrain and feel that that's part of the path, and we can do that. So this verified faith transforms us from believing that there is someone else or something else that will do it for us. It helps us understand that this is a do-it-yourself job that, or a do-it-your-not-self job. This is, we have to do it in our own way, in our own unique unfolding and face every single moment-to-moment experience with as much faith, balance, courage, resolution, determination, equanimity, and all those qualities which we only can learn by going through what's difficult. So we have faith in our ability to open to the laws of impermanence, the laws of... uh, the empty nature of all reality, the laws of suffering. And we begin to see beyond that. We begin to experience a path that leads beyond suffering. As we open with wisdom, which faith brings us to, that wisdom doesn't go beyond suffering in such a way that we leave behind the suffering, but we stay close to it with our, with the compassion that comes from wisdom, with our ability to, sometimes we stay with it with an open heart of compassion, and sometimes we stay with it understanding emptiness, impermanence. we begin to let go more easily. So faith is like a, in a way we can say that faith is like a spiritual compass 
it points us into a direction that maybe we haven't gone before. It, it lifts us out of the cow paths of our minds and hearts into new terrain and gives us um, a kind of energy to face it that we've never had before. We venture beyond what is known towards something that, is, that gives us a greater peace and happiness. So I'd like to end with um, this saying from the Buddha, this passage from the Samyutta Nikaya, the connected discourses of the Buddha. And it's about the direction of faith. And the Buddha said, bhikkhus, or uh, meditators, forms are impermanent, changing, becoming otherwise. Odors are impermanent, changing, becoming otherwise. Tastes are impermanent, changing, becoming otherwise. Tactile objects are impermanent, changing, becoming otherwise. Mental phenomena are impermanent, changing, becoming otherwise. One who places faith in these teachings is called a faith follower. One who has entered the course of wisdom She is incapable of passing away without having realized the fruit of liberation. So let's sit for a moment. Thank you for listening to the Dhamma this evening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.